Alright, cool. Alright, back at it again. Design Huddle Season 2, Episode 2. Stacked agenda. <laughs> it took us a little while to get set up. We're trying a new uh, recording software called Riverside FM. Like true designers, we're <laughs> testing our process, iterating on it. But uh, Mustafa, how are you feeling today, man? Yeah, well, uh, discovering that we like with the audio, my my laptop fan was the actual thing, the the culprit of giving this weird. <laughs> it says I think it, I needed to change rooms because last week's audio was a bit like tingy. I think it's because the room I'm working is a bit um, box like, so the sounds bouncing around. And so, like you know, solving one problem, discovering a new one. So yeah, no, but things are good otherwise. How about you? <laughs> no, I'm good. I'm 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 convinced that podcasting is like ninety percent like the setup the prep, the production, yeah, and then absolutely. like the fun part, the, the 10% is like the actual, just like, you know, hop on a call or, you know, a video recording with a friend and just kind of like shoot the shit, catch up and talk about some stuff trending in the news. So absolutely. Yeah. So we got, we got a, we got an awesome agenda. As I mentioned, we're going to do a little warm up. Um, I'm not classically trained in UX. So I wanted to get your, your take on this. I was yeah, like sure. kind of more of, I would consider myself self-taught for most of my UX career. So I wanted to get yours as someone that has a little bit more, I would say, polished in terms of design career. I don't um, know about that. <laughs> I'll give it a try. <laughs> so we'll do a quick quiz from uh, Web Designer News on how well do you know your UX principles. Uh, so that'll be a fun little test <laughs> for us. The next is a travel site with a twist where you can yeah. imagine you can visit any city around the world from the comfort of your own home. This is a super cool a uh, site that's been very uh, trendy across Twitter and the web of late. Uh, the third thing we'll talk about is why a cardboard shortage is driving innovation in packaging design. And then we'll bring it all together, talking about a really brilliant design from an airline company that, um, you know, I think is one of the cooler designs that we've seen in a while. So we got four great items. We'll talk about the first one, which is the quiz. We'll dust off our our uni backgrounds and our trainings from previous jobs to see if yeah. if we can pass. The first one, so this quiz is basically, you know, it's a UX principles guide. Many of our decisions when we design and build sites and apps, understanding UX principles doesn't mean you can dodge your own testing, but it gives you a head start. So my my like personal take on principles is they're good, but a lot of times I think rules are meant to be broken. And I think as a designer, one of the most important things you can do is creating your own process. Um, what are your thoughts on UX principles in general? Like, do you, is there any that you kind of like really stick by? So um, this is quite, so I remember a few years ago, I was at a conference with uh, Rook, uh, Rook, Luke Robluski. He said, you the way he pronounced his name is Ro Blue Ski. So that's how <laughs> I remember it. Um, but he's the, you know, the very famous designer who coined mobile first. Um, he talks a lot about this and uh, we were in like the green room as it were. And he was talking about, you know, guides, not rules. He thinks that the problem with once you put rules is the moment you have to design something real, you fall down and it, it breaks. Um, so I think, and, and the other, the, the other end of the spectrum is if you make the rules too loose, then it's just like these principles that like, um, it's just kind of fair, like, you know, airy, like it's not, doesn't have much substance to them. Uh, so then you end up with like rules such as don't use more free more than three typefaces, for example, which is kind of like a rule, but 
doesn't really work if you're designing something for kindergarten or a punk band. Do you know what I mean? So it's like there's always um, there's always going to be use cases where the rules have to be broken anyway. I think it's for systems design, it's important to be able to um, have similarity in the UI. So uh, platforms need patterns so that people don't have to keep learning a new thing. So, for example, bottom navigation, a hamburger menu, stuff like that. Like you need familiarity so that people are not having to relearn new patterns so that kind of works um but yeah i mean so i remember like uh when i first joined google like Matthias duartier the vp of design gave us this really long sort of uh monologue and i actually wrote about it later like i know there's an article on medium if you want to check it out it's like how systems how um design systems are created and it's like you've got these three different layers like the first layer uh is what they call the ergonomic layer it's things which we know to be true so um our fingers are a certain length, so you can't really reach. Um, uh... <laughs> Sorry, I can see. <laughs> you can't. So the ergonomic layer is um, things about humans. So accessibility, being able to reach, uh, you know, bottom navigation. You know, you've seen the, like the diagrams yeah, where it's like sure. ouchability, as they call it. So basically, uh, call to action should be at the bottom of mobile design, right? These and like colors need to be within a certain contrast. These are like the human things which are, are uh, remain to be true, and they seldom change. Um, and so, like a design system has to first take those things into consideration, like when you're designing, like as a, as a principle, as a guide. The second layer is what we call the conventions layer, and that's the sort of stuff that you get when um, each platform has its own convention. So on the web, we have radio buttons around to check boxes are square. Uh, you know, links are underlined. These are conventions. When people see this UI, they recognize and interact with it. And we as the designers know that when they tapped or clicked on something, that's what they meant to do because they recognized the pattern and therefore they actually did the action. So they fill out a form correctly and stuff like that. The, the top layer is basically the branding layer. And this is with a lot of the design languages that you have. This is what people end up focusing on and saying, oh, that's the X, Y, Z style. And where people get stuck on saying, hey, you just want the whole world or the whole web or the whole app ecosystem to look like blah. And that's not necessarily the case. That That's where you're supposed to be the most creative. You're on typeface, um, you're on margins and styles and stuff like that. Um, so I think if you think like that when you're designing your own stuff, those three type of layers, it's like first you have make sure that it's accessible performant which isn't a real word but kind of makes sense um and sort of like is geared so that people can actually use it if it's like a product the second layer is like look at the platforms that you're looking at and then um design for the convention so you know hamburger menu stuff like that if you're going to add new ui then you always have to or new patterns you have to take into consideration that people may not know how to use it so you have to design lots of affordances that encourage people to do like you know make it as as um recognizable as interactiveness as possible and that's fine it's like band websites do this or like treasure hunt type websites back in the day flash websites used to do really crazy things but that was the point people were supposed to discover stuff on their own um and then like the branding is just like how you start it. so yeah that's so principles no, can that, help that framework is that the framework is awesome i mean I, I totally agree i think like the branding layer that you got at is where we see a lot of um innovation like that's where you have the the ability to be creative and then what you see early on is that there's like trends each year that kind of people pile onto that we see more and more, um, which we can get into some some trends. But um, yeah, that that framework's super helpful. And I, uh, <laughs> I did yeah, not no, I 
pick that pick that up is that something that you learned like are you would you say that's something that like you learned like in university or design no. school or <laughs> no, no, no no way <laughs> see i studied graphic design i had to pretend to be a ux designer until actually that was me one. too so i actually i was a graphic designer with a business degree and then somehow if you have interest in those two things they're like ah you should do ux because you care yeah, about visuals it's, it's very, but you also like, care about the business yeah absolutely no I th- I, so in the job previous to my current one like I had a lot of commercial experience and the guy who's like a doctor of interaction design, Sven, a really good friend of mine now, he had a lot of the theoretical and academic background. So when I joined together, we like bounced off each other. So I had like how you apply the actual things in the real world. And he had all like the UX theory and um, how you do like the study. So we basically learned a lot off each other. So that's how it, where my proper UX, I think, um, uh, discipline really started developing because before then it was more like ui web design and stuff like that um because in the uk we don't really have a very strong producty uh background silicon valley does for sure but uk has a very agency web designy stuff there were some ux designers yeah. people who have kind of uh, uh human computer interactions is that what they call hci yeah, um yeah. that kind of academic background with a systems design like the operating system but in europe mm, you some like you'd have to be very lucky or you had to have like studied overseas to really get that so i come from like very similar for you i come from very pure graphic design but because i was so embedded into the web you start becoming like these things um so that's yeah so i don't have an academic background in the researchy sense <laughs> but i sort of developed it over time yeah no i mean that's, that's i'm kind of the same way most of mine was learning on the fly learning from my mistakes yeah and also i think it's um you know, one of my one of the coolest parts is that when you're working with a company like I did, you know, some consulting work is that you you you're providing, you know, skill and recommendations, but you're also learning a lot from how that company operates. And there tends to be people, designers and strategic thinkers that you can kind of really, you know, take some of the, the things, you know, from them as well. So, all right, quickly on this quiz, because I just want to I think it's interesting. So there's a UX principle that says in any process leave the toughest tasks until the last would you say that's true or false in your personal from a designer's point of view so that you or from the user's point of view like so when you're designing the toughest tasks last so i think what it means that in any process leave the toughest tasks until last okay when i read this originally i think like e-commerce site leave the credit card information at the very end because it's the most difficult no well no i mean I would frame it as in work on the most important interaction first, because that's the thing that you're trying to get people to do. I, that's that I would flip it like that. Like, you know, so if, if the purpose of an e-commerce site for, is for people to buy things, focus on the buy now or the, you know, the magic uh, Amazon's magic, um, instant purchase flow, which is like, well, basically made and profitable. That's how the story goes. Uh, so that's the thing you want to focus on. What's the core action? The thing is sometimes, as designers, we design in these um, fixed world environments, Sketch, Figma, Photoshop, Illustrator, whatever. And we're designing beautiful posters, which are interactive, because that's basically what we're doing. Um, whereas the moment you get into a prototyping tool, and any will do, you start focusing on what the key, the key journey is. And that's what you should focus on. It's like just, what is, the, what is the purpose? Forget having 20 buttons on the page. What is the key thing? Um, that you want people to do? That's what I would say, focus on that. Not, don't judge it by this is hard or this is easy. You need to do what's the most important thing for your business, for your product, for your whatever. Like, what's the key 
what do you want to improve? And that's why like being metrics driven, which isn't a traditional thing for like the visual graphic designers, it's like designing the logo is the metric, right? <laughs> like not like having it improve from a business perspective. But if you have a metric of we need to sell X, how are we going to sell X? And then you design the products with that in mind. We want to sell X. That's what I would say focus on. Yeah, no, I love I, I love that. I think I'm a, I'm a big fan of like, you know, first impressions are in, incredibly important and in making sure yeah, that absolutely. they can basically start the journey because if they don't start the journey, they immediately bounce. That's a missed opportunity. So, yeah, it's just I think this. So if anybody is like, you know, wants to get into the, the weeds, which we probably won't. But this is called the goal gradient effect. It's a user's motivation to complete a process increases as the distance to their goal decreases. AKA, this is like the philosophy behind uh, checkouts having arrows. So it might be 40 forms, but if you're visually one third the way done, you know, and you see that visual, it gives the user like, oh, I'm already on this journey and I'm almost done it. So it, it might not be, I'll go through these extra uh, friction points to get what I want. So I think that's kind of where this principle is coming from. But I tend to agree with you that focusing upstream is probably more valuable than focusing on the checkout because if no one gets to the check process, you know, that first step, you know. Yeah, it doesn't matter how beautiful the website is or if, if, if it was the hardest thing, it's like, well, you haven't done what, you're, what you've been asked to do, like as, as, as a designer, agency person, consultant or whatever, like, you know, the key thing is what is it you're trying to achieve? Yeah, I, I mean, that's, I think we're very aligned on that. So, um, what so else did I ask? Called, <laughs> yeah, this, these are kind of funky. So by the end of a list, users will forget the first items in the series, true or false. Depends on how many on the list. <laughs> if it's like three know, items, why, then this is like, this is like, <laughs> this is why I didn't do great, you know, in, uh, in some of my design classes or my, my graphic design or design classes, but the, basically the explanation is says that the serial position effect says that users remember both the first and last items from a series. If a user is likely to forget, it'll be the items in the middle of a series. Mm, that depends. Like, I don't know if you ever, I don't know, like American TV from the 1980s, but 1970s and 1980s in UK was mostly game shows and game shows always had a conveyor belt and one of the games would always be someone have to remember all of the items on the conveyor belt and then whatever they remembered, they got to keep. And they're like, you know, in the UK TV, it's like there was always a fluffy toy. And so whenever the audience will go, yay, when they say the fluffy toy. So the person, so they watch the conveyor belt going around and then afterwards they have to recall everything. The things that they remembered was the things that they actually wanted, that they uh, uh, related to, um, or that was very unique and stood out. So again, I think having rules of like a list, it depends on what's in the list. Like if there's something really inappropriate in the middle position, you're going to remember that, right? <laughs> like it's just yeah. that that's what's factual. So again, maybe as a generic thing, yeah, people won't remember what's in the middle. So if you're creating forms, always randomize the selection to make sure that people, and this is a common thing actually, where you randomize the options just so that A, you're capturing if people are just randomly clicking on things. So you don't, you don't want, you want to get rid of those kind of like, you know, results, but B, you want to make sure that people are actually reading the list. Um, so yeah, there is, there is, there may be some truth into that, but, um, yeah, I, yeah, it, I it depends. I'm, I'm in agreement there. I think I get where they're coming from, but, um, yeah, let's move on to the next one, which we already kind of hit on. It's first impressions count when judging a user experience, true or false. I mean, this is, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, if you walk into a restaurant and you know, 
<laughs> there's like food all over the floor and people are fighting in the background. I mean, you're probably like, yeah, probably I might give this restaurant a miss. You know what I mean? It's like, so I mean, or, or like, um, if like if you go to two e-commerce sites, things are aligned perfectly and the logo looks really believable. There's photographs of people using products. They're more likely to resonate with that and purchase versus something that looks like, you know, um, that was done in the nineties. So yeah, I mean, like first impressions always get like presentation is everything, especially yeah, so in you commerce. Know what's funny is the answer to that question based on this quiz, which is like, you know, I've so far I'm scoring like a 50%. Uh, <laughs> it says, and actually the answer is false. It says, unlike human interaction, users are most likely to judge interaction with a UI based on how they feel at its peak. It's most intensive and it's conclusion. This is known as the peak end rule. This is probably one of the biggest things I disagree with. So in this, we've already kind of hit the nail on the head here is that you can't get to the peak or the conclusion if the beginning, if the UI in the beginning is so you know clunky that you can't even advance. So, and the other thing is, is that when we're, I mean, we're obviously talking very heavily on digital products. When we're talking about websites yeah. or mobile sites, biggest thing is, is like, what value is this, you know, product or service giving me and it doesn't meet my needs and my intentions of coming here in the first place. So I, I, I just, I totally disagree with this, that the conclusion is the most important piece because most I mean, users on a web journey won't get there. I mean, this thing is like, it kind of depends though, isn't it? Like, they, they could be right, but the, the, here's the thing with UX guiding principles. It depends on the UX designer or UX person's um, background when they wrote this. Because if they're coming from like a pharmaceutical background, the the rules are going to be very based on the experiences that they've designed. And in that case, something like this may be the case. But if you're going through an experience where you have no choice, like tax returns, you don't have a choice. Like it could look terrible. And government sites often do for this reason. Like, <laughs> it doesn't matter if, if the beginning part's going to be painful, the middle part's going to be painful. When you have that's to pay true. that bill, it's going to be painful. Do you know what I mean? So again, um, that's the problem with guides and principles. It all depends on context. Like one example that I always give is, um, importance of the experience is a caveat and it was always a catalyst which contradicts every other principle and that's if the experience is really important for you it doesn't matter how bad it is people are still going to do it it's a bad thing to have so if you're in a foreign country and maps takes forever to load you're going to wait because you don't have any choice if you're looking for the address of a hospital you don't have a choice you have to try and go through the experience so um, obviously <laughs> we're not advocating yeah design really bad experiences but um, yeah, it's, I mean, I, it's having these guiding things to make sure you do, so, you know, color contrast and all this is really important. But I think, you know, it just depends. Like, that's the thing with design. It just depends. Yeah, you know what also depends? It depends if we're going to continue this quiz. And I say we don't because <laughs> we're not going to make the conclusion and we're going to move on to the next topic because that's enough UX <laughs> principles for a long time. So, yeah making it a, an abrupt right-hand turn to our next topic, which is actually probably my favorite topic of the day, is this really, really cool um, travel remotely app. I know that yeah, you, yeah. you kind of sent this article over, but why don't you tell, tell, tell me a little bit more about it? So Travel Remotely is a website created by John or Nellis. Sorry if I'm butchering your name, John. Um, Front-end developer, photographer. Like, he seems like a multi, multi-talented guy. Um, he create like in a world where we can't travel. Now this sounds really Black Mirror. Like when I describe it, and it sounds so, horrific, right? That's immediately <laughs> when I when I immediately when you sent me this, and then I started reading it. I was like, this is the most Black Mirror thing ever. So basically, the premise is um, 
there you have the i didn't know these exist we have these really high quality streams on youtube where people are just walking around their favorite city all around the world and they upload it really high quality videos and what um john did was take these videos and get like local radio stations and so you've got it in this website interface where you can actually walk around or like watch someone walk around while listening to a local station day or night either driving bus cycle car um and it sounds really like oh my god like you know so you can tr basically in a world where we can't travel anymore you can travel from the comfort of your um, living room which sounds even really dystopian but it's actually really delightful so like i <laughs> because i'm british i was obviously traveling around london even though i live in london uh because we always complain about the weather so i made sure i picked it was raining because it was sunny so that i could have that just juxtaposition of complaining about both weathers at the same time um but then like uh, my wife's from turkey so i called her and said look you want to go to turkey here check this out and she was like um i wasn't say traumatized she wasn't traumatized no she was uh mesmerized by like this thing <laughs> where you, you're, you're actually walking around and you're seeing and it's just so amazing and then like um if you want to up the ante like at some point you think okay if i switch to driving in istanbul or delhi then it feels like you're playing grand theft auto because it's like <laughs> the way they drive the stress levels goes for the roof so funny. <laughs> but no, it's, it's the, just i think that's the coolest part though you can toggle between like walking and driving so you can get two different yeah. experiences as well so if you're driving obviously you're going through it quicker but the walking to me like when i first opened it up like whenever i go to a new city for the first time like walking a new city is like one of the greatest experiences you can do especially yeah, if you're like solo traveling or by yourself and you just kind of, and this is what I think it does. It's emulating that, that sense that you get, like you're, you have the sounds. The only yeah. thing that you don't have is the smells. Cause that's the other thing that immediately comes to me when you're walking through a new city, Absolutely. but it feels like, I mean, you got it. I'll, I'll leave the link in the show notes, but it feels like you're there. It's super cool. And, uh, to your point, the quality is like unbelievable. So they must be yeah. streaming in like 4k or something. Yeah. Well, I think they're like, they're pre-recorded like, at the first, I thought it was live, but it's pre-recorded. But um, the radio stations are live, so that gives the feeling of that this is actually happening now. And what's wonderful is, like, you'd be, like, walking around, like, a different country, and you might hear, like, a cover version of a famous song, but obviously in the native language. And that just brings the whole touristy vibe to it, because, you like, you know, in something you might hear MC Hammer's song, like, but in Thai, and it's, like, it's nice, it's fun. It's, like, oh, it gives you that reminiscent of <laughs> back in the old days when we used to go on holiday. Um, so, yeah, no, I thought it was a really, really great experiment. It's picked up a lot of traction on Twitter, obviously, for those of us in, in the creative industries who like to travel but can't at the moment. So, yeah, no, it's a really, really great experience. Yeah. I mean, the, the, uh, the other thing that I found that was, like, kind of impressive is that, and maybe you can just to nerd out for one second, is yeah, I know the videos are pre-recorded, but there's the performance of the site seems pretty decent, like where I wasn't yeah. getting much buffering or load. So the the videos have to be like fairly optimized because I was expecting it to be janky as I switched from city to city. Yeah, but absolutely. there was like almost no lag. Um, so that was that's also just yeah. impressive as a developer. Yeah, it looks like a React site from what I was looking into it. So yeah, no, but it's in, and also it's like the radio as well. Like that's that's also syncing. So some very clever tech engineering. Um, so yeah, no, it was a really really good implementation. And I think it's like again we we're going back to presentation because it's presented so beautifully like if those feeds were really low quality you it, you would you'd like you want to switch off straight away but because the video is so crisp that draws you in then you switch on the radios and that's like oh my god and especially if it's a country that you visited before it's like reminiscent is quite a nice experience so yeah no, it's you know it's one of those obviously a passion project that um that john's created so it's really really cool 
what would you like? So it's obviously been a very long time since either of us have traveled. What are your top three cities that you've been to in your life? Oh God. Um, well, we went Sydney, I think would be like one of them. Yeah. I still- when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Study that um, Sydney. I, that's definitely on my list just to jump in. So, like, <laughs> we went to, like, it's, uh, when I was doing some UX lead stuff for, like, documentation at, at Google. So, we the team had, like, quite a big, ba- well, there's one main engineer in, in Sydney. And we went, it was, like, Christmas time in the Northern Hemisphere, but it was really sunny then. And so, and where the offices were, where we stayed, is basically the center and, like, where all the tourists are. And so, because you're not paying for it it's like that's an amazing thing within itself you're going to sydney where it's so fast like you know it's like 30 hour flight in total um and then finally to get there it was just like this you know it sound really geeky a very delightful ux experience um so yeah and i really liked it the other one lisbon portugal like i went christmas time and their christmas decorations are unbelievable like they would do these massive baubles like in the street but made of like um fairy lights and but huge like sculptures which you can walk through and this was like you know in london they'll just put stuff around the light poles you know like the street lighting but this was like on another level and that was amazing like and the vi- like portugal's as like still warm like you could wear a jacket and it'd be all right like that time so like, yeah and, it, and it's like obviously the sea and stuff um so that was just and also i met with a friend of mine sergio who um we've worked quite closely together in the past and that whole you know it's, it's all about the experience and the people you're with as well right that's what gives it um City number three, uh, I suppose Istanbul, um, but that's yeah. because I was speaking there for the first time at that time, and that was quite an anxious thing. Um, so I'll keep talking if you ask me these questions. I won't shut up. You have to tell me to shut up. <laughs> um, so yeah, no, <laughs> no, no, those uh, yeah. are those are great. I'm always just curious. I've been like, you know, like I think most people, you know, in between calls, stumbling upon places that you want to check out when the world reopens. Um, but those are those are I've I haven't been to Istanbul, but I've heard amazing things. I think mine would be uh, Sydney, Tokyo, and then Rio. I like really oh, love. Wow. I love. Uh, I was like so impressed by like Brazil. Like I just love the Brazilian people and the way of life. Yeah. So really want to get back there like as soon as possible. Um, very vibrant style. I don't know if that's a problem. stereotype. Like, it's yeah. very vibrant. Is that a stereotype? No, I or know is that... they say, I, I guess it is, but, like, it lives up to the high. I had very high expectations, and everyone's like, oh, just wait. And then, you know, I got off the plane. I, you know, I took a little small cup of coffee in Sao yeah. Paulo, and their coffee is, like, no joke. Like, I was, really? like, wired. It was, like, yeah, I mean, it's very, very good. I bet. Um, and very caffeinated. Um and then the like everyone that I met was just like the net person after person, like just super nice and like endearing and yeah, I loved it. But their visual style, is it very colorful? Am I just again stereotyping carnival? Cause like, that's the thing which I remember. I don't know if no, and obviously no, the, the football is like I mean, yellow and green. It's very bright and they celebrate it in a very bright, like, you know, 
Yeah, no, that's definitely the case. But, um, but yeah, I'm sorry. I'm just daydreaming over here thinking about going back. And... <laughs> thinking about going to airports again. Yeah, seriously. Um, all right, cool. So there's another really, really cool thing that, you know, Design Huddle, we've been trying to work in more uh, product-related stuff, like branding um, and product design. And this one's like super cool for a lot of reasons. One of it being, you know, it's a sustainable design, which is something that we've talked about in the past. But this article is from Design Week, and it's why a cardboard shortage is driving innovation in packaging design. So online shopping, office closures, and Brexit have all impacted cardboard supplies. Material and innovation and smarter packaging design could provide a solution the other thing to note here is cardboard is in demand. Um, as shops have remained closed during the pandemic, online retail has skyrocketed, as you can imagine. And with the demand of cardboard packaging, so throughout the past year, there's been reports that both cardboard shortage and rising prices for the material, um, though it's a challenge, it's also a really uh, important time to rethink packaging. So this is no surprise, right? I mean, if you just look at whatever city you're in, whatever neighborhood you're in, um, you know, the number of packages that are showing up at people's doors is that got to be at like an all time high. So yeah, I didn't realize there was a cardboard shortage. Did you know that? No, no. So, like, so when I was just trailing through like some of the design journals, this is one that really caught my eye. Um, and then also like how designers are working around it. So uh, Murama founder Joe, Joe Bernard, like um, has been working on designing packaging, which with that sustainability in mind, so things which are much more smaller and self-contained which is quite interesting, like trying to work around the limitations. But I think a lot of it is, you know, big tech or big corporations are always to blame. So it's like Amazon is basically takes the brunt in, in the article here. Um, it's like obviously everything's in Amazon boxes and boxes and boxes. So this is why um, we have a shortage as well as the fact that everyone's at home. So how designers are getting around, it, especially the small independent companies who can't afford to compete and buy these big uh, amount of like, you know, inventory. Um, so, yeah, no, some interesting designs. And then so, uh, coming on to that was like Coca-Cola or trialing a paper bottle. Um, so, which again, it's all of this sustainability in mind because I think Coca-Cola is like one of the biggest, uh, uh, I wouldn't say pollutants maybe, if that's the right way. It's like countries which basically produce a lot of plastic by like because of their bottles. So, like this kind of sustainability approach by using um, minimal amount of cardboard and using paper as an alternative to plastic. This is like really like innovation and it's really important at the moment especially like you know uh, global warming and shortages and whatnot yeah yeah i think the other thing that was interesting you know from this article was the fact that you know the pandemic has provided a lot of opportunities to think about materials other than cardboard yeah so there was an example in here um, where they talked about this flex and seal shipping roll it was developed by the company 3m um and basically, it was like an alternative to a cardboard box where it's like a self-adhesive material that sticks to products, similar oh, to like wow. bubble wrap, but it's a little thicker. Yeah. So the example they have in the picture is someone wrapping a pair of shoes. Obviously, it's a awkward slash odd shape, but you can kind of cover all the creases and make sure the package is protected and clean during the shipping process. So that's also cool is that you don't like we've been thinking literally, you know, the old cliche, you got to think outside the box. But yeah. literally, there is such a huge opportunity to find like more sustainable items to wrap packages in in the first place. Well, you find like the jumps in design and innovation are often when it comes down to limitation. I mean, that kind of sounds cliche, but um, 
you look at say like Andy Warhol, like he was limited by the styles of his time, and what the what what those technical limitations did was create these like beautiful pieces of art, like you know the Marilyn Monroe's, the repeating of like um, the Campbell soup and whatnot. So you're hoping that something like this this can may like, hopefully that may this continue. Um, yeah, because we do have to be really cognizant of like you know uh, of what's going on. I think um, legislation and so like government has to get involved in like you know so for example in the UK they banned plastic well they didn't ban plastic bags but they made plastic bags in supermarkets you have to pay for stuff so then now everyone carries their bags and that's reduced like the use of plastic like quite dramatically in the UK um so it's like these kind of small things uh and also like packaging like if it's just fruit and vegetable don't just wrap it in more packaging it has its own natural packaging and uh, so you make the sustainable stuff cheaper rather than it being the opposite where you make the sustainable stuff more expensive I think that's another thing that helps because obviously um a lot of this does come down to what you can afford as well, like on an individual level. So, yeah, and I think this is great advancements in our industry. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, there's a little part of me that, like, I love the innovation here. I totally agree that it's out of necessity. The other thing is I think there's just, like, more, like, education that can be done. Like, I think people know that it's an issue, but people think it's a cardboard box. It's recyclable. Like, why does it really matter? But I don't think it, they understand, like, you know, if everyone orders three cardboard boxes a day in a small area and there's, you know, trucks that have to pick that up, they have to do go through the recycling process. Like, there's a lot of, like, you know, um, inverse consequences that I don't think people think about, like, downstream. It's like we yeah. have this – we live in this world of, like, instant gratification. If you want, you know, something on Amazon, it, it literally takes you five clicks to get it. And next thing you know, it shows up. 24 hours later. So we're also, the other thing that I'm like, I'm kind of getting at is that there's almost been like a, um, this is another like cliche term in design, but like some dark UX patterns or dark design patterns of like that people are, you know, maybe spending outside their needs, maybe buying things in excess. And it's really hard to kind of, when the world reopens, reevaluate what's important and making sure that we're being thoughtful with every purchase. So Yes, this is on the companies, but I also, what I'm getting at is that I also think this is on the consumers. And I think the pandemic, this is just another, uh, one of the many negative impacts from um, the pandemic. Do you think that overconsumption is partly to do with us trying to comfort ourselves and the mental health um, time bomb that basically is awaiting? Because like, we get through a pandemic and then there's all the psychological things that everyone else has to deal with, like as a result of the recovery, right? So do you yeah, reckon that maybe that could be a thing, like people basically buying, spending too much, not just because they need to, but because like everybody's like, the, well, the pandemic has demonstrated that inequality is just rife around the world. But what it's also demonstrated is that some people just want headspace, like if they've got family, kids, and they just know time on their own. And on the other end of the spectrum, people have just been constantly alone and they just, and you kind of want release and comfort. So it's hard. Again, it's like these things are always hard. Yeah, and I'm, I'm not trying to – I totally agree with you. And I think – I'm not trying to sit here on a, on a high horse either. Like, <laughs> I've, uh, yeah, I've, Ryan. I've, <laughs> yeah, I'm like, you know, I, I, I'm saying I could – this is like a good wake-up call for me. You know, I'm, you know, I'm – my wife and I have recently been like redesigning our home, and we've been buying more things in order to do that. So, yes, we're doing this because it yeah. adds value to our lives. It gives us something to do. You know, we feel like, you know, it's, there's a lot of, um, I don't know, I don't want to say selfishness, but there's like an inherent benefit to myself. So 
I think there's a lot of people that are thinking that way and they're justifying it because they're spending so much time in their homes. So yeah, I think the, the main takeaway for me is that everyone could probably reevaluate it a little bit and kudos to every company that's being more thoughtful and coming up with more sustainable, you know, packaging, because this is something that I continue to see. And I also think it's not like the sexiest space to innovate design in, yeah. but it's one of the most meaningful. And I think sustainable designs is going to be like a trend that's just going to be here for, you know, the indefinite future, which is a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. You need to get off your high box. Sorry. I wanted to make that pun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, I agree. Yeah. Um, cool. Anything else on this topic before we move on? No, I think we've done it to the death. <laughs> uh, yeah. I think we, uh, beat the high horse to death. Yep. We beat it with a cold <laughs> box. All right, we need to we need to add some uh, like some boo sound effects when one when one like of rim those. shots. <laughs> like <laughs> even if we tell a joke like what we think is a joke but didn't really land, just boom. Yeah. Well, we know that people don't come to they don't listen to Design Huddle for the design discussions and advice. They listen to it for the comedy and the entertainment, obviously. <laughs> so we need a laugh track. Is basically what you're saying. Exactly. We should just like <laughs> every time we give like design advice, we just <laughs> play a laugh track. Like this is terrible. Ha ha ha. Yeah, we. Sh I mean, you joke, but we can make that happen. If there's any video, <laughs> or sound engineers, slash producers in listening, hit us up. We'll we will pay to make it make us sound funnier than we are. Well, you say that like after last week, I was like looking for like explosion sound effects to like you know uh, cl DJ Clue, so that we can just every time someone says just bomb. <laughs> but then I was afraid that that would bring me too that too much power to my head that everything you say I'd be just dropping bombs for you. So yeah, no. <laughs> Yeah, well, we need the bottom line is we need more sound effects on design metal, so we'll make that happen. Um, cool. So moving on to our final topic of the day, probably one of the the cooler things that I've seen. So there's this. Uh, this is from the Creative Block. Uh, this genius airline ad soars above the competition. Um, yeah, it's from New. I believe the. Help me explain it here. I think it's from Norwegian Airlines, and they basically. Uh, showed five other flags within the Norwegian flag. Is that am I doing yeah. that justice? Yeah. So it's 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 hard to explain without actually seeing it. So the Norwegian flag is like a cross um, with like blue, red, and white. And so what uh, the the agency MC Saatchi did was they they cut up pieces of the flag, which inadvertently make other flags. And basically, it's highlighting the different uh, destinations that Norwegian Air flies to. Um, it was created in 2015, but recently has seen like a peak in interest, especially on uh, Reddit and on Twitter, um, because it's very simple. You've got the big flag on a poster and then segments cut out, which make up the flags of other countries. And it's just really cleverly done. Um, and to begin with, when I saw it, I, I didn't quite click because it's like white boxes cut out and then you'll have that name of the country below it. I'm like, well, what are they trying to say? And then suddenly the penny dropped. Like, oh, my God, that's so clever. Um, no, I, I agree. I think that so for me, it didn't jump right away. But when I so they have and just so like for, for reference, because I know people are going to be watching this or listening. So if you're listening, it's a as, as we mentioned, it's a blue cross, a blue and white kind of cross on yeah. a, a red background. Um, and the countries that are shown are uh, Amsterdam, Paris, Bangkok, Helsinki. What's the last one? I can't even read it with the white. Uh, I'm missing one, but uh, yeah, there's a there's a fifth country that I can't read for some reason. But 
It also well, it does, it does say highlights five five flags, so maybe the fifth one's hidden. <laughs> maybe the fifth one is actually Norway's, <laughs> and that's the in joke. Yeah, that's no, there's there's five boxes. I can't I don't know why I can't read it for some reason. My like resolution's off. But anyways, the other thing that was cool is it has the price. I would imagine, right? Like there's prices listed, you know, for, I guess that's in euros, right? Is it the E with the two slices? No, it doesn't, actually it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't say anything actually. No, no, their currency is different because they're not in, yeah. Right, that would make sense. This is why, you know, you're, you're bringing me, uh, you're making design have a little bit more worldly. But anyways, it has prices at the cost of the flights. Um, it's pretty cool. I actually, it's funny that you said you mentioned this on Reddit. Uh, this is where I saw it. I saw it and read it, and then you, you're the one that told me that it was actually old, but um, main takeaway for me is I like it. I like that it's minimal. I think it's like somebody somebody was staring at a flag long enough where they're like, hey, we can repurpose this flag into other flags. I think it's like sometimes the simplest things are the most genius, and I, that's why I think yeah, absolutely. it's one of my favorite. Oh, so it's Krakow. It's, uh, it's the fifth one. Oh, so Krakow. that's uh, in Poland. Yeah. Which Is that Poland or yeah, it's Poland, right? Yeah. <laughs> you said I bring an international flavor, and I don't even know where that is. <laughs> <laughs> I've made yeah. Design Hub worse. Um, but yeah, no, it's um, no, I, I, it's just, yeah, you're right. It's just the beauty is in the simplicity. It's like I, there was a guy who did a, a redesign of Tokyo's uh, Olympic logo. I think it was supposed to be. Oh, that was on the 2020 one. It was like the best. That was just like... Like, you know, it's like one of those moments of like the clouds open and the sun shines and there's birds and it's like, oh my God, it's like this almost outer worldly form of design that comes once every generation. It's so awesome. Yeah. It's unfortunately Is the Olympics go still that. happening this year? What do you think? It depends. I mean, like, you know, I don't know. I think Japan's actually done really well. Like they've only had, I mean, it's bad, but they've only, I think it's like 3000 casualties from COVID. Um, yeah, no, I, I remember is, that they that... took pretty, uh, they had one of the stricter restrictions early on. So I think um, that was one of the reasons, but. Um... Yeah, no, it's, but then it's like, the thing is with something like an international competition, you're basically opening a vector for more transmission, but yeah, no, Olympic logos are famously designed bad from, especially the London one was terrible. Um, <laughs> it's basically, it yeah, was, yeah, it looks like, London Lisa's... again, it was like. 20, uh, uh, 2012, I think. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that uh, international yeah. vibe yeah, right, right there. You're right. Yeah, 20, um, it's just, no, I, I, I just remember looks... the 1996 is it was Atlanta, and it was like so 90s. You have to check that one out. Yeah. Some people might know what I'm talking about if you're based in the States. But it is like, I don't know, I remember growing up, everyone had like their Olympic shirt from Atlanta. It was like, it's like the funniest logo. Um, is it tacky or is it like, a, how would you describe it's it? It's like, um, let me pull it up for a refresher. It's, um, <laughs> I would say it's, it's like very, like, it's very minimal. Like it looks like it was designed in like Microsoft Word. <laughs> oh, is it a green, so, green with a, with a torch, right? And like yeah, orange. yeah, but it's oh, okay, like, got it. but it looks like you and I could make it in like, Microsoft Paint in like a minute and a half. That's why I think it's like so funny compared to like the more. And I mean, the Olympic logos for the most part are very minimal, but it's just like for me, it's like it looks like a a grade school kid like 
was was tasked to draw like a torch and that's what they came up with so it's like a torch flame with like various stars um olympic rings and then it looks like there's a number 100 underneath it like the plinth um so that might be the clever part of it so if it's like 100 years of the olympics i don't know but i'm guessing that's oh. what it represents yeah, that um, mean... <laughs> first time you've seen it <laughs> I'm g- yeah, I mean, I, I, yeah, I guess you're right. I actually have never noticed the hundred at the bottom. The thing is, the thing that well, I don't know. Maybe it's like the version I'm looking at, but um, it has like what looks like Times New Roman Atlanta '96. That's what ruins it for me. But I don't know if this is just the search on. No, no, like you're right. Like a lot of the shirts had like okay. like it, it just <laughs> it doesn't when you look at it. Doesn't it just like feel like like. 90 it just feels like when microsoft was dominating the 90s like that's what it feels like to me it just everything about it just like spells 90s it's like the design is 90s it's just you know it's funny well if it was um, a true 90s logo it would be like grungy and there'd be you know um it'll be all scruffy and stuff but yeah i don't know if the <laughs> um but yeah no it's uh i don't know i think uh olympic logos are famously terrible by the looks of some of these examples <laughs> I say that, but <laughs> I, I'm not sure if I'd be able to do a better job, but like, yeah, maybe that's the thing. Cause the, like the Olympics is supposed to be a bit tacky, right? It's like people walking around with moustaches is what I just remember the Olympics, but that's probably because <laughs> of my childhood. <laughs> it's like yeah. we, in the, in, uh, in Europe, we have like the Eurovision song contest, which is if you have a spare five minutes and want to laugh, just search up on YouTube. It's basically a competition where every country in Europe submits a singer and the singers are terrible um so that's that's what we'll say about that yeah so anyways yeah well <laughs> i think we need to do an entire episode of like on Olympic logos, logos. but that was a packed episode uh we'll wrap it up here because i don't know how much longer i can scroll through images of old olympic logos but <laughs> what do you um, mean isn't that what we do in our spare time exactly but um we'll, we'll we'll do more on logos we actually i have a few friends that are like incredible logo design uh designers so we should get them on so we can just kind of pick their brain about how they go through the process because i actually find it incredibly interesting and um yeah they're like basically they they can break it down and show us some of their favorites so we'll do that on a future episode but thanks everyone for tuning in today um we will drop new episodes every monday about 9 a.m ish (laughs) 9 a.m which time which time zone 9 a.m 9 a.m. Eastern, which would be, uh, we got to grow our UK audience to adjust the timing. But um, listen, we'll figure it out. We're dropping the episodes <laughs> on Mondays. You'll see it there. Make sure you subscribe to Design Huddle. Thank you guys for checking out uh, today's episode. Um, if you're not doing so, follow us on social media. Our links and Twitters are down below, or you can just Google our names and you should be able to find us. Absolutely. But thanks. And we'll catch you on the next one. See you guys there. Peace. (laughs) Thank you for listening to today's episode of Design Huddle. The opinions expressed are solely our own and do not express the views or opinions of our employer.